Good morning. morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you do with that? So the pastor and teacher recently asked after two experiences he just had. See, both involved difficult situations with newborn babies, and both didn't go according to plan. Visiting this couple in the hospital, he begins. They had just had their first child, but there were complications during the delivery, and they weren't sure that he was going to survive. Now, he explained, I was visiting them in the neonatal unit of the hospital. The neonatal unit is comprised of several large rooms. About every 10 feet are these clear plastic boxes. And in each one of these plastic boxes is placed a child, a tiny premature baby. Some weigh just three or four pounds, and they're all fighting for their lives. Now, on this particular visit, he continues, I stepped into the neonatal unit. I looked down at the clear plastic box that was home to this couple's child, and tubes and wires were coming out of his chest and stomach, his, his mouth and nose, and as I looked down at him, I just prayed. And later, he continues, I learned that all sorts of other people were praying for him, and while he hung on for a little while, he didn't make it. A little while later, this pastor continues, I ran into another friend of mine. She's a good friend, and I also learned that she recently became a grandmother. And I found out that her granddaughter was recently diagnosed with a rare heart condition, the kind of condition that babies don't often survive. Yet this family was fervent in prayer. They went back a week later for a second round of tests, and the doctor came out to see them and said, I don't know how to explain it. I'm an expert in this kind of rare heart condition. Last week, your child was sick, but this week, she's fine. I mean, what do you do with that? That's what this pastor and teacher wanted to know. And if you're anything like me, then maybe that's your question, too. I mean, does God answer a prayer? Is there a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray? I mean, some people say, you know, I prayed and God did a miracle. He showed up. But if that's the case, well, then where is God the rest of the time? And and other people say, well, God is going to do what God is going to do. But if that's the case, then, then why bother? See, these are some of the good and important questions that many of us have about prayer And in today's reading, Jesus' disciples come with their own questions, too. So let me set that scene for you. Jesus and his disciples are slowly making their way down towards Jerusalem. And along the way, they've not only followed by Jesus' side, but they've also gone on ahead, visited the various towns and cities where Jesus intends to go. And you can just imagine the kind of things that they'd see as they went. I mean, the hungry and homeless children without parents and parents without children. This one man's body is wasting away all around him, and this other man's mind is doing the same. There's so much hurt, so much pain, and so when they return to Jesus, they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. 
Teach us like the other rabbis. Teach us like John taught his disciples. Yet as Jesus speaks to them, his response isn't so much about how to pray or what to pray, but simply that they pray. It's almost like Jesus knows that's the hardest part, not what you say or or how it works, not the mechanics, but simply praying and trusting God. And so after sharing a stripped-down version of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells them this parable. It's about a man who makes a bold request. You see, he's got a friend in town. It's late at night, but he's got nothing to feed him. So this man travels to his neighbor's home, and he asks him for some help. And it's a bold request, not because he's asking for food, but because it's the middle of the night, and his neighbor's family's already gone to bed. I mean, they've cleared the floor in their tiny one-room house. They've laid out the mats and gone to sleep. And so if this man gets up and grabs some food, if he goes to the door and unlocks it for him, if he hands him that food, there's no way that he's not going to wake his family. And that's why it's such a bold request. Yet what Jesus and his disciples know is that this man's going to get up. Not because he's a good friend, but because that's what first century people are bound to do. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night and your family's sleeping. If a neighbor comes knocking, no matter how bold or how audacious their request, you answer them. So Jesus looks at each and every one of us and says, if you're that neighbor, you can trust that I'm going to answer. Oh, one of my guilty pleasures in life has got to be the critically acclaimed science fiction television show, Doctor Who. And uh, one of my favorite episodes happens right at the beginning of season five. See, season five begins with a brand new cast, a brand new doctor who travels through space and time in his big blue TARDIS, and, and a new companion who follows by his side. At the beginning of season five, we meet his companion. Her name's Amelia Pond, and and she's just seven years old, kneeling at the end of her bed at the beginning of this episode. We find her praying. Dear Santa, she says, thank you for all the dolls and pencils and fish. It's almost Easter now, so I hope I didn't wake you, but it's a real emergency. See, there's this crack in my wall. Now, Aunt Sharon says it's just an ordinary crack, but, but I know that's not the case because I hear these voices at night. And so won't you please, please send someone to fix it? Or maybe a policeman? And at that very moment, Amelia Pond hears a crashing sound in her backyard. So back in a moment, she says, as she races towards the window. And there, in her very own yard, is the doctor's big blue TARDIS. And for those of you who know, it's a giant British police box. I mean, she prayed for a policeman, and here's this police box. And so she simply looks up and says, Thank you, Santa. You know, if I'm perfectly honest, I often approach prayer like Amelia Pond. I often find myself going to God with this wish or hope I have. And it's not to say that I don't 
believe in what I'm praying or that I don't care about it, but it is to say that I, I often view my prayer life like this request that I put in a bottle. I set it afloat and I send it to him. And then I hope he responds. And so prayer often feels like playing the lottery. But you see, for Jesus, prayer is more than just a request we put in the bottle. It's the promise of a deeper, fuller relationship, one where we get to trust what he is doing. And so when I think about prayer, I also think about Jesus' prayer in the garden. See, he's just celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and in a couple of hours, he's going to be arrested and tried, executed, and die. He'll be killed in the most horrific fashion, yet here, in the garden, he prays to the Father, and he prays just like you or I would speak with one another. Now, Jesus knows what's about to happen, but but he doesn't want it to come true, and so he says, Lord, if it's possible... Take this cup from my hands. And he likens his death to a cup that he doesn't want to drink. And and that's what I love about Jesus' prayer. He shows us that in prayer, we can be completely honest. God can handle what we're thinking and feeling. He can handle our, our fears and failures. But what I also love about this prayer is that Jesus shows us that we can trust the Father. I mean, Jesus trusts the Father even when his very own life becomes the answer. Not my will, he says, but yours be done. And we can trust the Father because he sends us Jesus. Jesus who meets us in the midst of the darkest, hardest, most difficult moments. Jesus who knows pain and suffering, fear and loss. Jesus who shows us that there's no place in this world that we can't go where he's already been. And so we can trust God in the midst of the bad moments in our life too when we receive the news that we've lost our job when we hear about the diagnosis, when we face death itself, the Father shows us that we can trust Him because He sends us Jesus. A little over a year ago, a close friend of mine was battling cancer. And while he's doing much, much better now, I'll never forget how he first wrote about it. Because he gave me a picture of of what it looks like to trust the Father because of Jesus. He writes, I'm struck by the last part of verse 16 today. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This was the basis of my first morning prayer as I climbed out of bed an hour ago. I prayed cautiously because I don't like to pray for myself per se, but yesterday's news at the doctor's office set me on a new reality path. I have cancer again, and in ways more specific than usual. I don't know what the future holds. I I never really did. More tests first, of course, than treatment options to be determined. So I prayed in Jesus' name for the cancer to be done with, gone. And I prayed if that was merely God's will, my will, not God's will, that I would be guided and strengthened to be able to bear it. And through it, to give witness to a God who has chosen me, even for this unknown path. 
You know, that's my, my hope and prayer for each and every one of you, that through your prayers, God would draw you into a deeper, fuller relationship, the kind of relationship that enables you to say in each and every circumstance that no matter what happens, good or bad, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.